Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Each week I talk with farmers and industry professionals to hear their stories and expert opinions on various industry related matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. Looking at the latest kiwi fruit information, this week we can see the latest trade data showed kiwi fruit export values remaining steady during September. Export values for the month came in at $235 million, a 2% lift on last year. Things have eased from the solid year-on-year lifts in export values we saw in July and August, where there were lifts of 10% and 35% respectively. However, both prices and export volumes are remaining resilient. Total export volumes in September for both green and gold kiwi fruit were down a touch on September 2019 by 3%. Prices are holding up well too, with the price of green kiwi fruit ahead of the same time last year. All in all, the season looks set to break records yet again. In the seven months to September, export values were up a punchy 19.5% on the same period in 2019. With most of the traditional buoyant months for export out of the way, it looks set to be another record season. The sector has weathered the COVID-19 storm well. Both challenges and opportunities do lay ahead though. The immediate impact, of course, is the closure of the New Zealand border to international visitors. And as I've mentioned previously, this is a challenge for growers who have typically relied on backpackers and other seasonal workers to pick fruit. Some reports out of Europe and parts of Asia are stating that a mysterious disease is causing significant issues for some growers. In parts of Italy, which is the world's second largest producer, up to 25% of orchards have been impacted by what they are calling the die-off. If supply is affected in international markets, that does have the potential to provide upside for New Zealand growers. This week on Factum Agri, working with Postquake Farming, I take a look at drone usage on farms. I talk with Warwick Fennell from Ag Drones, who specialises in targeted spraying of weeds in both pasture and woody weeds such as gorse. I also talk with farmer David Pearce to get a farmer's perspective of this emerging use of technology in New Zealand's farming sector. Firstly, let's check in with Warwick. Hello Warwick, welcome to the show. Morning Angus, how are you? Very well, thank you. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? Well, we started uh, around about two years ago and we bought a 110 litre drone and since then our work has increased um, to owning two drones uh, and we fly around about at the moment around about 500 hours a year. Most of our work is on woody weeds. Um, we, we spray quite a lot of gorse and predominantly gorse, but we also spray old man's bed, privet, barberry, um, all sorts of uh, uh, woody weeds. We currently have a job in the Waikato spraying um, Japanese honeysuckle. So it's, it's a fair variety of stuff, Angus. We also say pasture weeds in so far as uh, um, hemlock, um, thistles and ragwort. When we first started off, people thought they were toys. Now they believe that they're tools. Like we used to, when people would ring up to use us, we sort of had to almost like go through the Spanish Inquisition before we got the job. So with your drone work, when considering targeting weeds for spraying on pasture, for example, how do you set this up? Do you map an area first using GPS, then go back and spray? 
probably for the most things no and i'll explain why if you had a square flat paddock yes we would go and map it out but then it would probably be cheaper to spray it with a, a ground operator or a, a regular helicopter where we shine angus is in in in, in um not continual wall-to-wall infestations. And, and if I could give you an example of that, thistles generally blow in clumps. And the other day we were contracted to spray a 40 hectare farm. In actual fact, we only sprayed six hectares in that farm and we got all the thistles. So uh, the method that we did use there is a, a method that we called AB mode. So we fly to the edge of the, of the infestation and then we fly up the infestation and push button B. So, sorry, the first one was A. And then a grid appears at a set width, the swath width, and a set speed. And and we then we spray that grid out, and then we will go to the next infestation. Interesting. In terms of cost, how does this compare with a traditional method of spraying in terms of time or cost and effectiveness? Or does that vary depending on the terrain? Yeah, it, it does vary depending on the terrain. But I go back to what I was saying a minute ago uh, there, Angus, in regard to the fact if it's wall-to-wall stuff, then we're probably not your best answer unless it's it's steep uh, uh, stuff, and then you'd probably get a helicopter to do it anyway. Where we shine, and there is sufficient work for us, in, in, is in scattered infestations. Now, for example... If a helicopter had sprayed that 40 hectare property the other day, he would have had to have sprayed at least uh, a 30 hectares of it. We sprayed six. So one, we were cheaper in flying time. Two, we were a lot cheaper in chemical. And three, we didn't pollute as much pasture. So clearly the drones can get into some very, very tight spaces compared to a helicopter. Yeah, I mean, and also for, for a helicopter, which is something they can't control, drift is a big issue for them. For example, when we're spraying out small forestry blocks that are adjacent to mature trees, um, then they can't work in there because of drift into the trees. With a drone, generally, in inverted commas, there is no more drift than, say, a handgun. What other applications can your ag drones be used for? What about things like seeding? Well, we, we ha- on, the, on our original drone, we have a seeder box. The interesting thing is that we've only ever done about six or seven jobs with it. Um, and, and like for, I would have thought for doing a regrassing slips and, and, um, and, and small areas and what have you, it would have been brilliant. Um, maybe it just hasn't caught on, but to date anyway, we have not had a huge demand for it. I understand some farmers are now using drones for checking livestock, fences, crops and feed covers. Is that right? Yeah, they are. And, and good on them. I think it's a great... And they're also, Angus, using them for mustering. Mm. Um, they, put, they put dog loudspeakers on them. And um, I, I think it's an incredible use for, for drones where uh, a person can go out and check their, uh, their, their sheep for cast animals and what have you pretty much from the back door. I think it's a great idea. How big are these drones and what weight can they carry? Well, our little drone is around about 1.55 metres across and it carries a maximum load of just under 25 kilograms, 24.5. Our big drone is about 1.7, 1.8 metres across 
Uh, it has eight rotors on it, and its maximum takeoff weight is 48 kilograms. Well, that's quite considerable. Oh, yes, it's, it, it runs two batteries. It's a, a very interesting, Angus. When it, if we're hovering, say, three or four metres above the plant, it really beats the plant to death from the rotor down wash. There's a considerable amount of, uh, of, of air being moved there. And you touched a bit on battery. How long does a battery last, and what sort of range do they have? In our 20-litre or 10-litre drone, we would empty a tank probably every, depending on what we're doing, say every six minutes. So when we come back and refill the drone, we actually change the batteries then anyway, and we find that they're a lot quicker and easier to charge. We charge them in the field, obviously, mm. um, if we only run them down halfway. But to answer your question, from about 12 to 15 minutes would be the range of a set of batteries. And in terms of distance they can travel? Uh, well, the, the rules say, and they're very sensible rules, that we must always fly line of sight. And, and, and so in a practical terms, we wouldn't fly more than 300 metres away. The most I've ever flown away to spray a plant was for dock, and that was 530 metres. But I can tell you, when you're a metre above the ground at 530 metres away, it's a bit scary. Yeah, I can imagine. Drone technology must be a very fast developing space, is it? Huge. It's absolutely huge. And you remember, and probably even today, when computers came out, the day you bought the computer was the day that it became obsolete almost. Well, well drone technology is the same. One of the issues, Angus, is there's, there's a huge amount of GPS-type tracking technology that's out there, but it's too expensive for off-the-shelf-type drones who the manufacturers want to keep the cost reasonable for people like us. But as that technology becomes cheaper, and not just available, but cheaper, then it will be worked into more and more drones. Incidentally, our second drone, uh, GPS or technology-wise, is a lot smarter than the first one. Drones are often in the news for the wrong reasons. How does your operation train its pilots, and do you comply with CAA regulations? Very, very important, and, and, and it's very, very important that um, we abide by all those re I am now approved by an approved training organisation to be a an instructor for, for drone train agricultural drone training um, and we have a very very rigorous programme that we put uh, our pilots through um, they also have to do once they've sort of graduated and from the trainer wheels, they have to do quite a lengthy period of supervision before they are fully qualified. You touched on carbon footprint earlier. I would imagine your drones would have a very, very small carbon footprint or close to zero. Yes. Well, for example, a, a, um, a turbine helicopter probably would use 200 litres of fuel an hour. Um, the most fuel that we would use and a day is around about 10 litres running the generator to charge the batteries in the field. So the answer is, I mean, it's not their fault or anything, but the answer is we, we have a, a virtually non-existent carbon footprint. So the work that you're doing, has that work previously been carried out by helicopters? Probably some of it would have been, obviously, but, but, but a lot of it not, because um, there seems to be sufficient small pockets of of, of uh, weeds or, 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 and scattered infestations. A lot of the stuff 
We would have been sprayed maybe 10 years ago with a helicopter, but it hasn't been sprayed since because it's scattered. And is this a growth industry, work? Yeah, I think it is. One of the big issues, Angus, is if you decided you wanted to be a drone pilot today um, and you made your submission to civil aviation and you'd have to get probably someone else to write that submission because it's quite complex, it would take you at least probably six or seven months before CAA would approve that uh, um, uh, th that application and then you'd have to probably do another three or four months at least training after that might be more after that so it's not the, the passage in is not for agricultural operators is not that easy however for uh, to say that it's not a growth industry would be silly yes it's a huge growth industry and it can only get bigger and better indeed so in terms of farmer uptake that's on the increase as well yes Fantastic. It's a really interesting space, Warwick, and technology, of course, is going to play a very, very important part in the farming sector moving forward. And this is one example of that. It's fantastic. It, it, it is. Thank you very much, Angus. I mean, I think it's really, really exciting to be on the cutting edge of something that really is quite different and, and is obviously going to move further forward in the future. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Angus. Have a great day. Hello, David. Thank you for having a chat with me. Oh, that's good. Good to talk to you, Angus. Please, can you tell me about your farm, where you are located, and what you farm? Yes, Angus, we, we farm on the coast in South Taranaki, um, and on the one property, we've got two dairy platforms and one extensive beef and sheep unit on the, right on the coast. I understand you use drones on your farm for certain applications. Yes, for the for the last year or two, we've been spraying weeds, um, of course, and pampas grass um, with the drones. And and just recently, we had large covered yards where the Nova light was um, getting covered with moss, and we used the drone to um, spray the moss, and that seemed to be a very effective way to deal to that. Is this more cost effective than other machines you have used for previous applications? Uh, to, to be honest, I don't really know. I haven't looked at at that side of it in any detail as yet. Um, it's an emerging, emerging technology and um, every time Warwick comes back to, to do some more, he's, he's got a, a, a better machine or a, um, it's going a bit smoother. So I think the costs are probably coming down. So I think in, in five years time, have a look at the costs and um, I'll be very surprised if it's not cost effective, but mm. at the moment, I'm, I'm not quite sure. It, it's just, um, as an aside, it opens up all sorts of possibilities. Like I think Warwick, um, who does the spraying uh, for us, I think he could have a gold card. And here we've got a guy with a gold card that's um, spraying gorse and pampas grass on very steep sidelings um, with ease. So it's it's quite amazing the possibilities it opens up for people. Yeah. What about the accuracy? Do you see better results uh, with a drone in certain circumstances, do you think? Uh, definitely. Depends what you're comparing it with. It's possibly not quite as targeted as a, uh, a gun and hose but it's certainly more targeted than a, a helicopter operation and you can just target the the weeds um, on steep faces um, without um, um, impinging on the pasture growth. Was introducing a drone into your farming business a bit of a leap of faith or did you believe in these machines from the outset? Oh, I guess it was a bit of a, a leap of faith. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's turned out very, very well so far. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Have you considered using drones for other operational aspects of your farming business? Some use them for checking stock and grass covers and things like that. Uh, yes, we're still probably a little way off doing that, but we have a big problem just prior to lambing with cast ewes on, on the coastal country, and um, it'd be wonderful to have a, a drone that was trained up to spot them and alert us to where, where they were. Um, so I'm looking forward to those sort of things developing. Yeah. Mm. How have you come out of winter? And what are your moisture levels like? Um, we've come out of the winter extremely well, thanks, Angus. Um, the last few months have had uh, exceptional pasture growth. Mm. Um, and, and the moisture levels are okay at the moment. The, the groundwater um, reserves must be a bit low. The annual rainfall would be behind where we normally are, but uh, can't complain right at the moment, thanks. That's good. David, what do you make of the recent changes to the freshwater policy statement? And do you think policymakers are on the right track? Well, maybe, maybe in part they are, but um, you might get me going here, Angus. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, I think the regulations lack, lack common sense. Um, like in our part of the world, all the, the local rivers, the Turakina, the Wangahu, the Wanganui, the Waitotra and the Funakura, they all flow out of a, um, a sedimentary basin. And, um, and no matter how many people or animals are around or not around, um, Anytime there's a heavy rainfall event in this part of the world, there's got to be a huge amount of sediment in the, um, come down those rivers, and there always has been and always will be. Mm. So maybe maybe if the policymakers employed um, some people that were good with geography and geology, we might get some more common sense um, regulations. Do you think there's not a great enough connection between policymakers and the farming community? No, no, I don't think there is. Um, it's too much of them and us sort of a scenario, yeah. And just on them and us, David, do you think there is a rural-urban divide? Uh, no, not as such. Um, I think that's too strong a word. There's not a Grand Canyon between us. Um, but there is a disconnect in parts um, that we, we have to work on. Our farmers are so critical to our economy. So how do we bring our communities closer together and for everyone to understand this, do you think? Yeah, I wish I had a, an easy answer to that one. I think we've just got to keep um, working on it, um, on all the different channels that are available. And, and of course, they're changing all the time at the moment. Um, I think it's, it's probably unfortunate the main metro dailies have um, stopped employing agricultural journalists and um, while they may have done that they quite happily go and um, publish articles that say how many Olympic swimming pools of water you need to produce a ton of beef but they forget to qualify that and, and explain that that's for feedlot produced beef and in New Zealand the pastoral production is so much more efficient and uh, so people get misconceptions which lead to a bit of a disconnect which is unfortunate mm, because obviously with tourism currently dead in the water for want of a better word agriculture and our farmers are so important to new zealand's economy right now yeah i think you i think you're right um, angus we've had to be a bit of a, a, a reset of the um of the understanding of of farming if we um want to make more progress um with the amount of agricultural production and horticultural production that that's, needs to come forward. David, I thank you very much for your time today. No, no, no problem, Angus. Good to talk to you. Thank you to my guests today, Warwick and David. 
Drone usage is a developing market in New Zealand and whilst their usage is not widely used yet, the potential is there. And as technology continues to make advances, drone applications will improve. Better cameras, larger payloads and greater range will only increase the services and efficiencies farmers need. Warwick's comment of convincing farmers that drones were tools and not toys is probably a typical conversation for many. At an extreme level, an American military drone deploying weapons essentially as a UAV or unmanned aerial vehicle. The drones that are used for various agricultural applications are also UAVs and are highly technical and cost tens of thousands of dollars and require licensing and certification from the Civil Aviation Authority for their commercial usage. Currently, most drones for agricultural use are medium-sized, usually for analysis applications, while larger drones are used when there is a need to carry a load for planting or spraying applications. Like most industries currently using drones, multi-rotor configurations are the favourite in agriculture, likely due to their lower cost and high level of simplicity and ease to operate. Warwick service is mostly focused on weed control or spot spraying in both pasture and pockets of woody weeds like gorse, broom and blackberry on difficult terrain. The versatility of drones provides many different avenues for improving upon existing agricultural processes including soil and field analysis. Drones are able to produce 3D maps quickly and cheaply which are then used for the design of seed planting patterns and the generation of a wide range of data types with many applications, for example nitrogen level management. Drones have the ability to monitor crops accurately, frequently and affordably, delivering high quality data that is updated regularly to provide insight into crop development and highlight inefficient or ineffective practices. Drones can also be used to generate multispectral images of crops which are then analysed to track changes in health and maturity. The ability to assess the health of a crop quickly and precisely can be invaluable for farmers. If for instance a bacterial or fungal infection is identified, early detection allows for quick action to be taken in order to remedy the issue. The benefits to the sheep and beef farmer have the potential to add efficiencies and we already are seeing some farmers use drones to check livestock, water troughs, fences, feed covers and use audio with a dog bark to muster stock. So as technology advances, drones have the potential to change the way farmers operate and improve efficiencies and outcomes. And of course, their low carbon footprint can only further support the good work being done by farmers to reduce their emissions. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factum Agri.